we turn in our Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, we're talking about the saint in the silence of God. Habakkuk is disappointed. We said that we could say that this book in many ways is about Habakkuk's disappointment with the ways of God. He's looking around Judah. He has experienced... Um, a revival under the reforms of Josiah. Now Josiah is gone, and so is so is the revival. Instead of people continuing to look to God, and instead of them constantly praying, and there being this perpetual movement of God, the revival has now turned into rebellion. And so Habakkuk is pleading with God, and he's saying, God, please bring, God, would you please bring back the days of, of revival? It's one thing to experience a, a revival, and then all of a sudden God's hand is lifted, and the movement of God, instead of there being this, this revival and this movement of God, now people are looking at revival in the rear window. We've had uh, different great revivals in this nation. Uh, we don't know how many more we're going to have. In fact, wouldn't it be interesting if we have experienced our, our last revival? That's a horrifying thought. Can you imagine God saying, no more revivals for this nation? That was the final revival. We think of the Welsh revival that affected even Wilkes-Barre in a dramatic way in the early 1900s. We can talk about the first and second uh, great awakenings. We could talk about the Jesus movement as we talked a little bit about, about uh, the time during the 70s when many of the, the counterculture, the, the hippies were coming to Christ in the late 60s and, and 70s. And so we, we look and we say, God, would you send revival again? God, if you don't do something, Lord, we are, we are in big trouble. Now we need to experience we need to experience you. And it's one thing to look back and say, Lord, I've I've tasted it. I've tasted a little bit of revival in my life. And God, I, I want that again. Unfortunately, right now there is a generation that is being raised that has not really experienced a revival in this nation. We thank the Lord that he continues to call people to himself. So in that sense, there's always revival going on. There's always a remnant. People are still being saved. People are still coming to Christ, even here uh, in the United States of America. But this generation that is, that is growing up needs to experience the mighty hand of God coming and refreshing. Coming with his awesome power. Oh, how desperately we need it. And every saint of God, every person who really loves Jesus, every person who has ever been really affected, whether it's a personal revival in their own spirit, a local church revival, or a, a revival that has swept the land, prays this way. This is exactly what Habakkuk is praying for here. He is praying for revival. He is asking that the Lord would come down in a powerful way and move again. He's saying, Lord, I've seen you move in the past under Josiah. God, we have once again, in a short span of time, we have turned our back on you. God, let me experience you again. Let our nation, let this southern kingdom experience you. 
That's the cry for us, and that's the cry for our kids. God, let them experience you. We're not interested in just religious people. Oh, that God would curse that and throw that into the eternal ocean of forget. But that he would cause our hearts to be drawn after him. He would cause our children's hearts to be drawn after him. What would it be like if there was no more revival in this nation on a wide sweeping scale? In fact, we're already seeing ourselves come, come underneath the judgment of God. And it's a quite the thought, a tragic and horrifying thought to think about no more revival. And so we plead with God. But all that Habakkuk was getting was silence. So he's saying, Lord, we're in a, we're in a mess here in Judah. And by the way, God, I know that you are the sovereign king over all the nations. God is constantly active. There's never a moment where he is not upholding the whole universe by his word. So God is always active. He's always involved in the affairs of this universe. But there are times like Habakkuk experienced when he goes before the Lord and he's praying and he is pleading with God, God, send revival. God, you've got to do something here. Lord, we're desperate here. The remnant is crying out to you. And yet all there is is silence. This is his question here. He asks in verse 2 of Habakkuk chapter 1, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? You will not hear or cry to you violence. Lord, there is, there is violence going on in our nation, and you won't save. Lord, you're not listening. Lord, where, where, you're not hearing. When he talks about listening here, God is evidently hearing, but he's not answering in the way that Habakkuk is wanting. There's just the silence of God. He says in verse 3, Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. The law is paralyzed. Instead of the law going forth, we were just speaking about this on Wednesday night. Instead of justice ruling in the land, there is injustice. There's a perversion of justice. It's like we can't get things going. Every time we want to see something done right, it stalls. We say to ourselves, why can't we get Planned Parenthood defunded? Why is that not possible? How, how is it possible, how is it possible that man and woman after woman stands on TV, our politicians, and says, boy, it'd be a really tragic thing if we stopped the funding of Planned Parenthood, the murder of children. And so we hear politicians get up and they say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead, we're going to defund Planned Parenthood. That should have happened 40 years ago. And this is what it means, as we were talking about, this is what it means to have the law paralyzed. It can't move. We're going, Lord, let justice roll down. We're praying for these things. But it seems like every right idea somehow gets stalled. It's always stalled. So we're praying, Lord, would you do this? Would you, would you, would you send revival? And yet there's always a hitch. There's, there's, there's never a breaking instead of, instead of there being this, this breaking and this overflow of the presence of God. There's this perversion of justice. There's this paralyzing of the law. 
Justice never goes forth, he says, verse 4, for the wicked surround the righteous, and justice goes forth perverted. So not only is justice stalled, but here's, here's the other side of that, the antithesis of that. We're celebrating perversion. So not only can we not get the, 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 the true law off the ground, but we're celebrating things that are wrong. And this is what Habakkuk is having such a problem with. He's saying, Lord, we're trying, we're struggling. The remnant is praying, Lord, I'm praying. There's nothing going on. Lord, all we hear, all we hear is silence. We're, we're trying to see justice happen, but justice seems to never happen anymore. In fact, the perversion of all that is right and all that is good is celebrated. And so we begin to look around and we begin to go, are we crazy? Are, are we the ones who are nuts that it's, it's, it's a bizarre thought not to want a man to go into a woman's bathroom? It's that how far we've gotten to where the normal thinking on things is a perversion and the right thinking on things is rejected. That's a real problem. Good is celebrated as evil, and evil is set forth as good, a perversion. If there was ever a text, see this, this text, as we're going to see here in just a moment, it just doesn't speak to this time, but it speaks to every nation at all times who forsakes the Lord. So we have the law being paralyzed. Let's not forget that because those are, those are Bible words. The law is paralyzed. So every time we think about the, the judgment of God, we need to think about it in terms of the law being paralyzed in our, in our nation and justice going forth perverted. Now, you and I have a choice to make. Either we are going to stand as the remnant with the Lord, and we are going to say, Lord, with Habakkuk, no matter what you say, we are going to stand with you. We're going to come underneath your authority. We're going to continue to plead and pray for revival. Or we say, you know what? I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be different. I don't want to be strange. I don't want to be with that little group that people call a cult. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be involved in that, so I will just go ahead and accept the, the norms of the culture and go along with it. We have a choice. Are we going to have the fear of man, or are we going to have the fear of God? So Habakkuk is praying, but he's not getting any answer. We've heard that oftentimes with prayer, the answer is always yes, no, or not now. So we go to God, and he's like a slot machine. And God either answers to our prayers, yes. So we go to him, and he says, yes, right away. And sometimes he says, no, and sometimes he says, not now. But according to what the scripture is saying here is, sometimes God responds to our prayers with silence. Sometimes he responds to our prayers with silence. So we are, we're crying out to the Lord. 
there are times we go before the Lord and we say, Lord, we're asking you for this or that, and all we hear is the eerie echo of our own prayers. And we're saying, Lord, where are you? And we're not questioning his power. We're not questioning the fact that he has the ability to do the things that we're asking for. We're just saying to him, Lord, where are you? Lord, we're seeking for you to come and to do something in our lives. Lord, we're asking for you to do something in our nation's life. But Lord, all we can hear is silence. Listen, God is not a slot machine. God is not our bellboy. We don't go to him and pray and he says, yes, no, or not now. Sometimes we go to the Lord and he causes us, he causes us to, to wait. He, he suspends the answer as he gives us silence. And it's not because he doesn't love us. In fact, it's much like a, a mother who is waiting by the door of her baby's room and the baby is crying and crying and crying. And the mother has already changed the baby. She knows the baby is fed. She knows the baby is secure. She knows the baby is well taken care of. Everything is fine. That baby is just finally crying itself to sleep. And that's exactly what the Lord sometimes does with us. We're, we're crying and he says, I know you're okay. I know you're fed. I, I know you're secure. You're, you're safe. You, you have you have my presence, but sometimes when we pray, as with Habakkuk, we hear the silence of God. This, uh, this is throughout uh, Scripture, many different examples. If you flip with me to Job chapter 30, uh, Job chapter 30, Job chapter 30, verse 20. Job chapter 30, verse 20. I cry to you for help, Job 30, verse 20. I cry to you for help. This is Job, a righteous man. Sometimes the Lord doesn't answer us because we're in sin. That's not the case here. I cry to you for help, and you do not, you do not answer me. I stand, and you only, you only look at me. Lord, I, I'm crying to you. I'm, I'm praying. I'm asking you for an answer, but Lord, I'm... I'm not getting any answer. Psalm chapter 22, if you flip over there, Psalm, Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22, verse 2. Psalm chapter 22, verse 2. Oh my God, I cry to you by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So the Lord, for his own reasons, there are times when we do not get an immediate answer. This does not mean he never answers. He never comes. He always comes. There's always a point where he comes. And by the way, this is why we need to be in the word. When we are going through uh, situations in our life, when we are are praying and the answers do not seem to be rolling in. One of the habits that we can easily get into is we put down the Bible and we say, well, I'm praying about a car, a new car, you know, need a new car, for instance. Somebody's praying that. They say, well, I'm not going to find the answer here in Habakkuk. I don't understand what reading Romans or Galatians is going to help me with that. So I'm going to just go ahead and put down my Bible. I'm not going to 
I'm not going to read it. Our faith is built up. We need to be in the Bible. Even when we feel it's not answering our specific prayers, we need to constantly be in the Word of God, reading the Word of God, soaking the Word of God up, thinking about the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. And the enemy will fight you. He'll fight you every day to make sure you're not in the Bible. It is not good enough to just come Sunday morning and hear a sermon and be in the Bible on a Sunday morning for an hour. It's not good enough to just come on Wednesday night or even to come to prayer meeting. We need to be fed personally through the Word of God. So as we're, as we're feasting on the Word of God, God is building our faith and He's teaching us to rely on Him even though Sometimes we're not getting the answer that we want, and sometimes we're not getting an answer at all, at least not immediately. So Habakkuk is praying for revival. He's not getting any answer. Charles Spurgeon says this, God often delays in answering prayer. Think about that for a second. He says this, God often delays in answering prayer. He often delays. He goes on to say this, the prayers are filed in heaven, and if not immediately answered, they are certainly not forgotten. What a, what a beautiful thought here. So he's saying our prayers, even though immediately not answered, they're being filed in heaven. How many prayers have we prayed that God is just filing away? He's just filing them away. We say, God, you must have forgotten about these prayers. Are you listening to my prayers? Are you are you out there really, really understanding, God, what I'm going through? Do you get it? Do you understand the, the pain and so on? So he says this, the prayers are filed in heaven, and if not immediately answered, they are certainly not forgotten. He says this, but in a little while they shall be fulfilled to thy delight and satisfaction. Let not despair make thee silent. Let not despair make thee silent. In other words, don't give up on praying. So a person says, well, I've prayed and I've prayed, and we said this last Sunday, how long shall I cry for help? Spurgeon here says, do not let despair make thee silent, but continue in earnest supplication. So we continue on. And at God's good pleasure, he will answer our prayer. Well, he answered uh, Habakkuk's prayer finally in verse 6. But it wasn't the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. It was, instead of an answer of revival, it was an answer of judgment. Verse 6 says, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. So he's going to raise up the Chaldeans to judge Assyria, but not only to judge Assyria, but also to judge the nation of Judah. So instead of revival coming, what God is saying is judgment is coming. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. So he says, here's, here's the answer to that prayer. Instead of, instead, of revival, instead of revival coming, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming on Assyria, but judgment is also coming on the nation of Judah. But now Habakkuk has another question because Babylon is a wicked nation. And so his question is, how can you use a more wicked nation, a nation like Babylon, 
to judge a less wicked nation. Lord, we know that we're wicked. We know Judah is wicked. But how is it possible that you're going to use this wicked nation of Babylon to discipline us? Lord, they're wicked. And as we think about this, one of the questions we've got to answer for ourselves, even about our own nation, is this. Would you say that our nation is a wicked nation? Now, we are so thankful for our, our country. And rightly, we're patriots. Rightly, we thank the Lord for the freedoms that we have. But can we honestly say that our nation is a morally upright nation? If we talk about the billion-dollar industry, billions and billions of dollars that are poured into pornography, if we talk about all of the sins that this nation has committed and continues to commit, would we be the nation that would be being judged or would we be the more wicked nation that God would perhaps use to judge another nation? That's a question that perhaps is relevant to this text. And so the question is, God, how we understand, Lord, we understand we're wicked. We understand Judah is wicked. We understand that we have turned against you. At least some of us understand that. But the question is, Lord, Lord, how could you use the Babylonians? Lord, how could you use this wicked nation? When we think of the most wicked nations on the face of the earth, we have to understand God is controlled over not only the seemingly decent nations, but over all of the nations, even the most evil nations. God holds, God holds the whole world in his hand. And so when God is uh, not seeming to work uh, in our lives, we have, to, we have to just come back to him and continue to pray and say, Lord Jesus, I understand. I understand you're still in control. So now his question is, how are you going to use Babylon? God replies again to him, and he says, well, guess what? Not only am I going to judge Judah, but I'm also going to eventually judge Babylon when the Persians come in. So Judah is going to be judged. The Assyrians previously are going to be judged. But eventually, in the future, Babylon is also going to fall. Persia is going to come in. And we know from history that Persia eventually falls, and Greece comes in, and Greece eventually falls, and Rome comes in, and we have one empire after another coming, coming in. The Medes and the Persians were coming in next after the Babylonians. But God promises, not only am I going to judge you, not only have I judged and am judging Assyria, but I'm also going to judge Babylon. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. Shall not all these things take up their taunt against him? So all of these nations are going to come against Babylon with scoffing and riddles and say, Woe to him, that is to Babylon, who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. This whole chapter is about the fact that God is going to eventually judge Babylon. But what is Habakkuk to do in the meantime? This is all still future. Judah hasn't even been judged yet, let alone Babylon. So Judah is going to be judged uh, in 586, Babylon will be judged eventually. But what is he to do in the midst of all this? We have this famous text in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord answers me. The Lord answered me, it says. So he says, write the vision. Here's what I want you to do, Habakkuk. I want you to write this down. 
make it plain on tablets. These could have been stone tablets. Uh, they could have been clay tablets. They could have even perhaps been metal tablets. But he says, I want you to write this down so you understand it is firm and it is fixed. This is, this is the fixed word of God. Write the vision down. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. He says, listen, what I'm, what I'm prophesying to you, Habakkuk, it may seem slow in coming, but it will be fulfilled. You can guarantee that what is being written down Sometimes we pray and we say, God, are you going to answer this? And it seems so slow. The answer seems so slow in coming. This text, by the way, one of the um, things we talked about last week was having text over babies and baby dedication. It wasn't at my dedication. But it was when I was uh, a little fella, born with club feet. And the question was, how are things going to turn out for me? And it was, it was this text that was used by a man who gave this to my parents when I was still a little fella about waiting for the vision of God to come to fruition. And there are some times we're crying out, we're crying out, we're asking God, God, would you do this? And we want an immediate answer, and sometimes he's silent. He's not silent forever. He always gives an answer, but sometimes it's not an answer right away. This is exactly what he is saying here. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run uh, who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, it seems slow. Can I ask you a question? What seems slow right now in your life? What have you been praying about and just seems slow? You've been praying and you've been praying and praying with, you're praying with Habakkuk, and you're asking the Lord for these things. And the Lord perhaps has given you some kind of answer, but you're saying, wow, I don't understand how this is going to take place. So he says here, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You know how many people give up? Spurgeon said this, it is, um, it is darkest before the light. And he said, I see the darkness, he said this, in my life as a John the Baptist predicting that the light is coming, the Lord is coming. Oftentimes people give up right before the answer is going to come. And God, God is saying to Habakkuk, you've got you've to you've stay the course. You've got to wait for the answer. You've got to remain steadfast under trial when all hell is breaking loose, like all hell is breaking loose in chapter 1. He's looking around at Judah. He's asking for revival. God is not going to send revival to the nation of Judah. Then he says, here's the vision. I want you to write it down. Babylon is going to be judged in the future. But here's the key, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright with him, within him. But here's the righteous person. But the righteous person shall live by his faith. 
So the righteous person comes to God in the midst of the righteous person comes to God in the midst of trial and says to the Lord, Lord, I don't just have faith in whatever that means, but Lord, I have faith in you. Lord, I'm going to continue to believe the believe matter. Lord, I'm going to continue to believe you. I'm going to continue to trust you. This whole verse was revolutionary during the Reformation. And the Reformers' eyes were opened up to the fact that we are saved through faith. You mean all a person has to do is stop working and stop trying, and all they have to do is come to Jesus and lay all of their burdens down in faith and say, Jesus, I embrace you as my Savior and Lord. I trust in you. There's a certainty there. I understand exactly who you are. My eyes have been opened. And Habakkuk is saying this person lives like this for the rest of their Christian life. It's a, it's a walk of faith. Lord, I don't see your answers. Lord, I don't see the answer, but I'm going to keep walking in faith. This is not crazy. This is not strange. This is true belief in God. Lord, I'm going to just keep walking in faith, believing, standing on the promises of God, trusting that you're a good God, trusting that the things that you promise are going to come to pass. This verse is quoted, if you flip with me to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, says this, Romans 1, verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written. Where is it written? Well, it's written down by Habakkuk. It's written in the Old Testament. The righteous shall live by Faith, and if you flip over to Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Let me give a couple um, wrong responses when... When Habakkuk or any person is living in the midst of circumstances where the question is, God, what are you doing? First response that is not going to work and is not godly is to take judgment into one's own hands. So instead of waiting on the Lord, somebody says, I'm going to act quickly. And I, I'm going to take this matter into my own hands instead of waiting for the promises of God, waiting for him to work on my behalf. This is, this is what we, he wants me to do. He wants me to live by faith. Listen, this is, this is very important. Many people step out ahead of God and they say, well, God's taken too long. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to try to, I'm gonna, I'm going to, try to do something or fix something on my own. And God is saying that that never works. The, the person who is going to live by faith has to just constantly persevere under trial, constantly be obedient to the things of God. People say, you know what? Well, I remember talking with many people who say, well, I know the person is not a believer, but I just, I just feel so called to, to date them. 
I, I know they're I know they're not a Christian, but perhaps you know someday they'll they'll come to the Lord. Listen, the Lord the Lord would say to that person, "You stay the course. You just you believe God. You trust God that He's going to provide." And and this is the way it is with all sorts of circumstances in our life. Instead of just staying staying put. Uh, submitting ourselves underneath the authority of Scripture and underneath the authority of Christ, we, we begin to take matters into our own hands. Here's another wrong response. We try to make revival happen. So what is Habakkuk praying for here? He's praying for revival. And so he's not going to take justice into his own hands, but perhaps an, another bad reaction would be to try to manufacture a revival. And we have seen many times people who are in services and they, they figure out a way to get all emotionally worked up. And you can sing songs a hundred times over and over again. And you can have people dancing all around and you can have people swinging from chandeliers and not have any revival. This is why you can't have a man-made revival. We can't say legitimately we're going to have a revival uh, series of uh, services here for the next week. From Monday through Friday, we're going to hold revival here. True revival only comes through the power of God. And so the question is, in these times, are we going to try to take justice into our own hands? Are we going to try to manufacture a revival and take that into our own hands? No, no. The Word says that we live by faith, eventually trusting that the whole earth someday is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. In fact, that's what it says in verse 14. Look with me at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. This is, this is the promise of God. We wait on him. Eventually, someday, the glory of God is going to fill the whole earth. So we have this response of disappointment. But then Habakkuk finds himself trusting in the Lord. And we have this response at the end of chapter 3, we're going to close with this, the end of chapter 3 of joy and perseverance. When I was in um, college, there was a, a, a shooting in uh, Fort Worth, uh, Texas. Uh, a number of people went into, uh, a, a shooter went into a church and, and shot a, a number of people in the church and killed, killed uh, a number of them. That was at the beginning of all the things that we were seeing. Columbine, and we had that uh, back then. And, uh, of course, we had some bombings, but then we get into 9-11, and things really started. Now we're all on our toes when we think about terrorism and those kind of things. But at this point in time, it was, it was very shocking. Now we're not shocked anymore to hear about somebody going into a church and shooting it up. But at that point, it was, it was shocking. And one of the professors had gone to the to the funeral or the memorial service for those who had been shot in this church. And he came back and he read this text from Habakkuk, chapter 3. And this is such a comforting text in the midst of things that we don't understand in our lives. Whether it's we don't understand the way our nation's going. We don't understand the way our own life is going. This response of Habakkuk is the response of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is such a beautiful response. You remember um, 
with the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were about to be thrown into this fiery furnace. And they said to the king, listen, king, our, our Lord is um, able to, to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still going in. Godly response. That's faith. Not name it, claim it. I believe this is going to happen, and if it doesn't happen, I'm going to stop serving God. No, no. It's, God, I love you, and no matter what you do, by your grace and by your strength and by your power, God, I'm going to persevere and obey this word, even, even if it doesn't make sense, even if I don't see you working in the way that I think you should be working. God, give me the, the tenacity and the strength to continue. So they, they look at the king, and they say to the king, listen, you can toss us in, and our God may save us, but even if he doesn't save us, that's okay because you can still throw us into the fire. That's the response of Christ. Now notice what Habakkuk says, something very similar here in chapter 3, verse 17. And this was the text that was read at the service. This was the attitude of, of uh, those three saints of God. By the way, they get, into the, they get into the fiery furnace and there's a fourth man standing with them. Listen to what Habakkuk says in verse 17. He says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. So he's saying this. Lord, if there's no food, no more oil, Lord, if judgment is coming to Judah, Lord, there's problems everywhere in this nation. Lord, if you cut off the oil, you cut off the bread, you cut off Walmart, Lord, you cut off the electric, Lord, you cut off the water, Lord, all of a sudden the house collapses, things in life don't go the way we planned, Lord, all of this stuff is going on. That's what he's saying here. We talk, we don't have fig trees and we don't have vines, but that, that's what he's saying. If everything fails, Lord, in our nation's life, Lord, if everything fails in our life, listen to his response. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. This is a song to the choir master with string instruments. I mean, we can sing in the midst of tragedy. I mean, we can we can sing like Christ, our choir leader. I mean that we can still have joy in the midst of tears. You mean when the prayers aren't being answered and there's silence? How? How? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. 
Anyone say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me as we close? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. You can make our feet like the deer. Top of the high places, Lord. Like a bounding deer in the mountains, God, in the field. As it ascends into the hills, into the high places. Lord, that's how you make us. Lord Jesus, would you give us the power? Lord, we rightly come to you oftentimes with our teachable complaints, our laments. Lord, that's a right way to pray. Lord, we lament to you. But even though you don't always answer immediately our prayers, God, you've never forsaken us. We always have your presence. Your presence is always with us. Your presence is always with us. You promise in Hebrews, I will never leave you or forsake you. We have that promise. And God, we pray that you would teach us not to re just rejoice in the times that seem to be going well, but that you would teach us cr true Christianity is rejoicing when we don't see the things happening that we wish would happen and that we even know would please you. God, we ask you that you would give us this Christ-likeness because it's Jesus Christ who is the only one who had this kind of perseverance and this kind of joy. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that he did it in the midst of great tragedy, in the, great, in the midst of great suffering and sorrow. And yet he did it with joy. And now his joy is our joy. We thank you for that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Thank you for that gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen.